Welcome to the Life After Sugar podcast. The podcast that's not just about sugar, but about your relationship with it and also with food and especially with yourself. So if you want to discover your life after sugar and hear inspiring stories from all kinds of people who also cut out sugar in their way, at their pace, for their own reasons, this is the podcast for you. Because you know, when you take away the sugar, you can finally discover the real sweetness in your life. I'm your host, Netta Gorman. And this week is the second in a short series of summer shorts. That's my English teacher's pun there. And the subject is sugar and diabetes. I'll be talking about whether sugar causes diabetes and about the whole notion of low carb for managing, preventing or even reversing diabetes. But first, I just wanted to say that if this is your first time here, then welcome and thank you for listening to this podcast. And whether you're new or a regular and you haven't yet rated or reviewed this podcast, could I ask you to scroll down and tap on the stars to rate this podcast and also to write a short review to let me know how this podcast is helping you in your life after sugar. I love reading your reviews. And when you rate and review this podcast, not only does it encourage me to continue making new episodes, but it also helps to share this podcast and have more people see it so that we can help more people feel better and lose weight with less sugar. So again, thank you for rating and reviewing this podcast and for spreading the word about sugar. All right, so let's talk about sugar and diabetes. And just before I begin, a couple of disclaimers here. You know, right, that I'm not a doctor or a nutritionist or a dietitian or any kind of health professional. And the good news is that I didn't have to unlearn parts of my studies because I didn't go to med school. And the other good news is that I'm a regular consumer just like you. And if I can understand the basics of human biology and how sugar and diabetes are linked, then the chances are that I can explain it clearly to you and save you tons and tons of hours sifting through the internet and contradictory information so that you can understand how sugar and diabetes are linked as well. Diabetes is a disease in which the body's ability to produce or respond to the hormone insulin is impaired and this can result in abnormal metabolism of carbohydrates and elevated levels of glucose in the blood and in the urine. Type 1 diabetes is an autoimmune disease that occurs when the body's immune system attacks and destroyed insulin-producing cells in the pancreas. And this means that the pancreas is no longer able to produce insulin and therefore glucose in the blood can't enter the cells and be used for energy. So type 1 diabetes is treated with insulin therapy, which really means insulin injections or an insulin pump to regulate blood glucose levels. 
For a long time, type 2 diabetes was believed to be a chronic condition and to be associated with obesity, poor diet and a sedentary lifestyle. More recently though, it's been found that type 2 diabetes can be managed or even reversed through lifestyle changes such as a healthy diet, including cutting sugar, regular exercise and weight loss. Now, as patients and as consumers, we should be aware that when we talk about things like sugar and diabetes, or rather when we talk about links between two things, we need to be careful not to mix up causality with correlation. A lot of people believe that sugar causes diabetes, but actually, scientifically speaking, that's not true. If it were, then every single person who ate sugar would end up with diabetes. And, well, that's just not the case. It certainly wasn't for me. I used to eat tons of sugar and my blood sugar levels have always been just fine. I was never pre-diabetic or diabetic, even though I spent 45 years of my life as the world's number one sweet tooth. So causation, where one thing causes another, is not the same as correlation, where two things have a link to each other, but one doesn't necessarily cause the other. So we can say that sugar and diabetes are linked or correlated, but not that sugar causes diabetes. Just wanted to make that clear. I also wanted to clarify that the so-called low-carb diet that's so popular today, including keto, is not new. It may be all the rage now, but it was actually the standard recommendation for treating diabetes before the discovery of insulin. And more than 150 years ago, William Banting wrote a book that focused on limiting the intake of carbohydrates especially starchy and sugary carbs. And since then, science has made that connection between sugar and starch, weight gain, blood sugar levels, or more accurately, blood glucose levels, and diabetes. In fact, low-carb diets have been well studied for years and have been found to be both safe and effective for people with pre-diabetes or with type 2 diabetes, and actually even for some people with type 1 diabetes. It's beyond the scope of this podcast to list all of the studies that have come to this conclusion, but if you're a bit of a nerd like me, then I'm pretty sure that you can use PubMed or Dr. Google to find those studies, or you can ask your doctor. But the bottom line is, that those studies do exist. They're high-quality studies and their conclusions are very similar. Low-carb, which means reducing sugary and starchy processed foods, is an effective way to reduce your risk or even reverse diabetes. But how low-carb does a low-carb diet have to be? I'll talk about that right after this short break. (music) 
I just wanted to tell you that if you're looking for some free resources about how to cut sugar, then I have plenty for you. Come check out the Life After Sugar Facebook page and subscribe to the Life After Sugar YouTube channel as well as my Instagram account at mylifeaftersugar, which is where you'll get all kinds of inspiration. Pictures of meals, short reels, useful info to get you started on your life after sugar, as well as thought-provoking quotes and even sometimes pictures of our cat, so that you can see that it's perfectly possible to live a happy and active life, even if you don't eat sugar. You can also check out my TikTok account at netta underscore life after sugar. And if cravings are getting in the way and causing you to fall off the wagon, then I have five tips for you, especially if you're an intermittent faster, to help you get rid of cravings. Go to aftersugarclub.com and download your five tips today. You can also find my simple guide for getting more energy with less sugar by going to aftersugarclub.com, scrolling down to the bottom and clicking on Simple Guide. And while you're there at aftersugarclub.com, you can also have a look at the videos I've made for you to show you what to eat that doesn't contain added sugars, where to find real whole foods at the grocery store, and also how to look after your gut health because cutting sugar is one of the best things you can do for your gut health. Go to aftersugarclub.com to get your free resources today. All right, so it's all very well to talk about a low-carb diet or if you prefer a low-carb way of eating. But I actually don't think the word diet is the problem in this little expression. I think it's the word low that's problematic. Because how can you say that something is low anything, in this case low carb, when you haven't established what high carb is or what normal carb is? Let me give you an example from the Diabetes Canada website. I found a seven-day low-carbohydrate healthy meal plan on diabetes.ca that they say is safe and effective for people with diabetes. Not people who want to prevent diabetes, but people who already have diabetes. And the website says that this dietary pattern can help with weight loss and blood sugar management and could also reduce the need for certain diabetes medications. And of course, people living with diabetes who want to follow a low-carb diet should seek professional advice from their healthcare provider to avoid any adverse effects. Now, this seven-day meal plan that I found, and I quote, features healthy plant-based foods, low glycemic index carbohydrates, and less than 130 grams of carbohydrates per day. And just before I give you an idea of the types of foods that they suggest, I want to circle back to this 130 grams of carbs as being low carb. Personally, and this is just my personal opinion, 
I don't think that 130 grams of carbs per day is low at all. And of course, it all depends where these carbs come from. Do they come from whole foods or from processed foods? Do they come from sugars that are naturally present in real whole foods? Or do they come from industrialized products that contain some kind of refined or added sugars and starches in the form of flour? Let's see. All right, so for day one, Diabetes Canada suggests breakfast being one serving of plant-based beverage smoothie, which they say contains 31 grams of carbohydrates and 3 grams of fiber. And when I click on the smoothie recipe, I see that it contains 1 cup or 250 milliliters of silk, almond and cashew protein, original unsweetened or vanilla unsweetened beverage, chopped celery, cucumber, peeled, seeded and chopped, spinach, honey, which is optional, one tablespoon or 15 milliliters, chopped honeydew melon and chopped fresh mint. Sounds yummy, right? And no added or refined sugars there. But the problem is that when you whiz up even whole foods like these good vegetables and fruits, when you whiz them up, in a blender to become a smoothie or juice, the three grams of fiber that this recipe contains are also whizzed up and liquidized. And that fiber that was in its whole form in the whole fruits and vegetables is now much less able to slow down the absorption of the natural sugars in these same fruits and vegetables. So the 31 grams of carbs all from whole foods, are absorbed so much faster by the body because the fruits and vegetables are now in liquidized form. So it's not just the number of grams of carbs that you need to look out for, it's the form in which they come. And whizzing them up in a blender to make a smoothie doesn't increase the number of grams of carbs, but it does make the grams of carbs of sugar even if it's naturally occurring sugar, be absorbed much, much faster by the body. And whether you're diabetic or not, that speed of absorption is not something that your body needs because it can lead to a quick blood glucose spike, a quick insulin spike, and even a quick dopamine hit. And drinking your carbs or any calories often doesn't leave your brain enough time to realize that you're eating, so you don't get full as fast as when you're taking the time to chew your food. Why not just eat the fruits and vegetables as is, without whizzing them up, in their whole form? Okay, what about lunch? Well, Diabetes Canada suggests one serving of vegetable frittata, one slice of whole grain bread, which between you and me is not actually made with whole grains. I mean, those grains were whole, but they were milled into flour in order to make the bread. So the term whole grains is misleading. The bread is actually made with flour. And just like the natural sugars in the smoothie in liquid form, 
Well, the natural starches in whole grains, when they're ground up into flour, are also absorbed much, much faster by the body. And again, whether you're diabetic or not, you don't want starches and sugars being absorbed quickly by the body. You want to keep that absorption as slow as possible. Okay, what else is in the lunch? One cup of unsweetened plant-based beverage, like soy or zero-gram sugar oat beverage. And they say that this lunch contains 15 grams of carbs and 2 grams of fiber. And then for dinner, one serving of Indonesian tofu stew with spring vegetables, half a cup of cooked brown rice, and they say that's 22 grams of carbs and 2 grams of fiber. And if we look back at the breakfast, lunch and dinner, what I see is 31 grams of carbs for breakfast, 15 grams of carbs for lunch and 22 grams of carbs for dinner. That's a total of, let me see now, 31 plus 15, that's 46 plus 22, that's only 68 grams of carbs. Minus the grams of fiber, that's 3 plus 2 plus 2, that's 7 grams of fiber, 68 minus 7 grams, so that we get the net carbs, that's only 61 grams of carbs. Woohoo! Except that you're starting out your day with the most carb heavy choice, the smoothie, plus in liquid form. In my humble opinion, that's not ideal for someone with diabetes, or actually for anyone. But of course, you don't have to listen to me, right? Now, there are six other days of suggested low-carb meals, and they all look pretty similar to day one. Plant-based, relatively low-fat as far as I can tell, and so-called low-carb. Now, if you're comparing with the standard American diet, which is decidedly high in carbs, especially processed carbs, yes, these meal plans are definitely lower carb. But I wouldn't exactly say that they are low carb. It all depends what we're comparing them to, right? Oh, and by the way, right at the bottom of the page for Diabetes Canada, I see that they're sponsored by Canadian Canola and by Silk, the company that makes soy or oat beverages. What a coincidence, eh? So if you decide to take all those scientific studies into account that show that lowering your level of carbs, especially processed carbs, like refined sugars and starches, is an effective and safe way to manage your diabetes and even help prevent it or reverse it, then go ahead. Just keep in mind that there's a huge difference between carbs in real whole foods, including fiber in its whole form, because fiber is also a carb, and industrially refined carbs, like added sugars and refined grains in the form of flour. So again, whether you're diabetic or not, 
Reducing or even cutting all forms of refined carbs is a good thing. And it's not just me, Netta, saying this. I'm just paraphrasing all those studies out there. Bottom line, reducing or cutting refined and added sugars and refined grains in the form of flour is the way to go. It can't be bad for you. I'm not saying it's easy to do because processed foods are such a huge part of our current diet. And that's a separate problem that I've talked about before on this podcast. But if you know that you want to reduce refined carbs and you're struggling to actually do it, then the After Sugar Club is for you. If you're ready and committed to your own well-being and to improving your health by cutting sugar, and if you want to be with other like-minded people, then join us in the After Sugar Club. When you sign up, you'll get all the support, the accountability and the guidance you need to break free from the diet culture as well as from the emotional dependency that you have on sugar. Go to AfterSugarClub.com and click on the big green button to see everything that's included in the After Sugar Club and in the premium After Sugar Club where you'll get much more personalised and customised guidance and feedback to help you on your journey to breaking free from sugar. Plus, you get a whole year for free in the After Sugar Club when you sign up for the premium option. Go to AfterSugarClub.com and click on the big green button to join us. Thank you for listening. That's it for this week. Keep in touch and see you soon for another episode.